You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Starting in verse 17, Paul says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Go to the Lord with me in prayer. Father, uh, we thank you for your word, and uh, I just confess my my own fear, and um, uh, really just my own fear of preaching this passage, and I pray, Father, that you would come and let your spirit be very present, and that she would give me um, the ability to do what I really am unable to do, which is to honestly to speak for you. So I ask, Father, that you would come and speak, that you would purify my motives and my heart and the words of my mouth, that you would help me to bring honor to you and be faithful to your word and to be helpful to your flock, your bride, your sheep, um, your body, church family. Uh, so God, I pray that you would do that. I trust you to do that work. I know that this is easy work for you because you left the tomb empty. So there's nothing that is impossible for you. Help us to hear you. Pray, God, that you would come and strengthen those of us who feel weak. Pray that you would come and heal up those of us who are broken and wounded this morning. Pray that you would come and grant repentance to those of us who are persisting in sin. Trust you with that work. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. This is an interesting text to uh, preach on a Sunday morning. Focus of this passage uh, is really uh, in some instruction from Paul to Timothy on what it means to help the Ephesian church care for her pastors. Um, His instructions here, as I read through them initially, uh, reminded me of a quote from our um, our theological paper, our, our philosophy of eldership, basically saying this is what we believe about eldership, what we believe it to be, reminded me from a quote uh, on that paper that says this. It says, pastoral ministry involves forms of suffering, discouragement, and heartbreak for which no school can prepare a man. Jesus uh, gave the apostles and 
and the elders to tend the flock as under-shepherds until he returns. At the end of the day, uh, pastoring is a really tough gig. But at the same time, the church's responsibility and privilege um, in taking care of her pastors is an equally tough gig. For those of you that have cared for me for years, I know caring for me is a tough gig. Biblically speaking, uh, we know that elders are pastors who uh, oversee the flock of God as shepherds. Uh, we, we know that a shepherd's job is to know, lead, feed, and protect the flock. Um, so, so a pastor um, works hard to get to know the members of the flock. Uh, a pastor is to labor hard to lead the flock into green pastures. Um, he, he is to work hard to feed the flock with the Word of God. And he is to labor and work hard as he seeks to protect the flock with the staff and the rod of biblical discipline. Um, so the biblical calling on a pastor's life is to simply shepherd the flock of God well by knowing them, leading them, feeding them, and protecting them. Why? Because there is an account to be given our Father in Heaven who gave His Son on behalf of the body of Christ. So there is an account to be given to God and there is a crown to be gained in Heaven as well. It is a massive job description that no man should ever pursue unless the Lord has called him to and qualified him to do. Why? Because the health of the bride of Christ as well as the health of that pastor, those pastors and their families is on the line. It is a serious job for sure. Matt Chandler, who is uh, president of the Acts 29 Net Church Planning Network, which we are a part of, he is also the lead pastor of the Village Church in Texas. Uh, speaking on the role of an elder or pastor, he said this, and if you have heard Chandler much at all, you know kind of his snarky, sarcastic way of saying things. So I pray that you would um, give him grace even on what he's saying here. Um, as a pastor's job, as a gospel minister, will rarely be in the middle of the healthy, well-groomed sheep where they're chewing good grass and they just love that you protect them and keep them safe. It says that a pastor's role is actually on the fringes, the edges of the field where the sheep bite. They have rabies. They're too deceived to eat the healthy grass that you put in front of them. They're eating their own excrement and they're blaming you for it. I remember hearing that phrase and just going, I can't say it as well as Chandler did. Um, he says that uh, that is where pastors grind day in, day out. A pastor's job, really, Chandler goes on, is to lay up kindling around the hearts of God's people so that the Spirit of God can do His work of igniting that kindling into flame when the time is right. 
Another pastor said that uh, being a pastor is like waking up in the morning, getting ready for work by drinking a gallon of rejection, then filling up your thermos with more rejection for the rest of the day, and then coming home after work, drinking another gallon of rejection before going to sleep, and then I would add then going to sleep while dreaming about rejection all night. That's the job. Another preacher adds to that by saying that, uh, this is one of my favorite ones, the image is so clear, said that being a pastor is like getting pistol whipped in your underwear in the parking lot of your church building every day by the people who, that you love and care for. <sighs> these uh, pastors who say these things are veterans, trusted. Um, if those things are hard to hear, here's what Charles Spurgeon says. The problem with pastoring is that pastoring is like doing heart surgery every day on other people who have heart disease. And the main tool that God has given you to do your work is your own broken heart. In other words, God uses men with broken hearts to repair and to renew other people with broken hearts. I say all these things um, by way of introduction because our text obviously deals heavily with pastoral ministry and how to care for your pastor, which is an awkward position for me to be in. I could imagine Paul and Timothy hearing all of these things and in some regard at least nodding their heads in, in, in at least knowing approval. Get it, understand it. That's what I would think. And yet, um, I don't want to miss the fact that I could imagine that some of you may hear all of these things that I've just said. You may hear this passage this morning. You might feel really uncomfortable with it. Uh, you might even feel disinterested this topic. might be thinking that this is not what you showed up to a church gathering for on a Sunday morning. Um, maybe you've got some things going on in your life that you would like to address. Um, and the topic of caring for pastors is not anywhere close to the top of your list. But, uh, for some reason in God's providence, you showed up here. This just happens to be where we're at in the study. And uh, could not have planned it any differently. So I can imagine that uh, some of the folks in Timothy's church might have felt the same tension too. Um, I can also imagine Timothy, being a fearful young man that he was, um, probably being very fearful as he read this portion of this letter to the church family in Ephesus. But here's uh, the reality that I know. The reality that I know is that pastors are sheep too. We often forget that. Just as a flock needs to be cared for by her pastor, her pastor needs to be cared for by the flock. Paul knows this. He lays out some very simple ways that a church family can do this. A simple summary, uh, I think from what Paul is saying here, I think it would basically state that uh, we should care for our pastors by doing three things, honoring them well, disciplining them well, installing them well. That would be my summary of what Paul is saying. What does that mean, though? How, how, do we, how do we honor our pastors well? How do we discipline our pastors well? How do we 
install our pastors well. When we look at these, um, each one at a time, um, we'll begin with the first one. Care for your pastors by honoring them well. Now, I put this in the plural, knowing exactly where we're at as a church, knowing that there, at this point there is still only one pastor here after seven years almost, and yet we are in a season of maybe installing other elders, pastors. So I did put this in the plural because it would be very hard for me to stand here and say, you can care for your pastor well. Um, so that way you understand that. Care for your pastors by honoring them well. Paul says, verses 17 through 18, says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. In other words, um, one of the ways that you can care for your pastors well is by honoring them. But the question is, how do you honor them? Right? How do we do that? Now, the job of an elder or pastor is to rule well and to labor hard in preaching and teaching. This should be kind of the, the, the things that characterize an elder or pastor's job. Ruling well, preaching and teaching. And Paul says that these elders uh, are worthy of double honor. I think there are some distinctions here that I'm going to kind of gloss over because we don't have time. He says these elders are worthy of double honor. Now what does double honor mean is the question. I think the meaning of double honor carries uh, the hint of two things. Hence, double honor. Okay, um, So I, I think it's financial support and relational respect. I think those are the two prawns of what it means to honor our pastors well. Um, financial support and relational respect. So let me dig into this a little bit, both of those. We've taken one at a time. Let's look at this concept of financial support. Paul supports that interpretation. If you look right at what he's saying, what he does is he points to scriptures, basically saying God's word says, right? So um, that's where he founds this. And he does it in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. does it in the Old Testament um, and then the New Testament by pointing to Jesus' words. So in the Old Testament, there's this, there's this passage that talks about how, how you shall not muzzle an ox. Paul actually uses this twice in his writings to the churches, um, this time to the Ephesian church through Timothy, another time to the Corinthian church. He's basically saying that an ox will work harder if you let him eat from the grain that he's laboring to tread out. And then he's also pointing uh, to, to Jesus' words um, uh, where he basically says that um, someone who works hard uh, should, should not be expected to work for free. Okay? Someone who works hard should not be expected to live on next to nothing. Someone who works hard deserves his wages. The laborer deserves his wages. Now, these principles are true in every vocational field. And it's funny, it's, it's, it's I don't want to be too snarky, but it's funny when it comes to the church that uh, the attitude is often, we're going to humble our pastor by making him work for less. Which is really, really unfaithful and sick, if you ask me. Right? If we were to treat people like that in any other vocational field, if you were treated that way, you would quit. You would find a different job. No one likes to work for a company that doesn't pay well, right? No one does. 
So that's first prawn, um, financial support. Um, the second prawn uh, of the phrase of double honor has the hint of relational respect uh, to it. So what this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean a, a kind of cowering down to a holier-than-thou um, person, like uh, that's Reverend Pastor Cardinal so-and-so, right? It's, it should not be that kind of a relational respect where there's, you cannot approach him or, or you can't talk to them because they're on a pedestal and you are beneath them. That's not the kind of relational respect that Paul would seek to build here when it comes to double honor for our pastors. Um, when, I, when, I, when I think of the kind of respect that Paul has in mind here, I, I think of the way that we are all called as members of the body, as Christians, that we are all called to respect people in roles of authority. The Bible doesn't give us a license in any way or permission in any way to disrespect those in authority by undermining their authority with our complaining or our gossiping or our slandering or our disobedience. Um, complaining, gossiping, slandering, being disobedient to our parents doesn't help our parents, doesn't honor them well. Um, not godly for us to do as children, uh, nor, nor are the consequences or the outcome for us as children good either. Greed. Um, the same principle is true when you apply that to government officials, when you apply that to your bosses, or when you apply that to pastors, when you apply it to anyone in a position of authority. So it's important that we honor our pastors with our relational uh, respect. Uh, I believe that um, this is just one way that we become the image of Christ to the world around us. Once you think about this this way, when you think about the world around us and the way that it approaches the concept of authority, um, I think it's, it's kind of ugly. See, if, if we were to constantly disrespect our pastors in our conversations, um, then we are really no different than the rest of the world around us. Because the rest of the world around us loves to stand around the water cooler in the break room talking about how we disagree with those in upper management. I believe that the church family should care for her pastors by honoring them well um, in two ways, financial support and relational respect. Uh, number two, um, seems that Paul is saying that we should care for our pastors by disciplining them well. Care for your pastors by disciplining them well. Uh, this is verses 19 through 21. Look at what Paul says. says. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. <clears throat> As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you, keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Here's the reality. <laughs> Biblical discipline is really hard to do. There's nothing easy about it. There's nothing easy about discipline, period, right? And if we're going to do it in a biblical way, if we're going to do it in a godly way, it is hard. It's scary because it involves certain levels of face-to-face -face conflict. Face-to-face um, -face conflict is hard to do um, 
If you think about it in the category of parent to child, if you think about it in the category of peer to peer, it's hard. Conflict is, but it's, it's even harder to do when you're trying to correct someone that's in authority over you. An old friend of mine that, that used to influence me and help me a lot, he would always say, um, influencing up is the hardest thing to do. Um, interchange influencing with discipline, correction. Correcting up is hard to do. Nevertheless, we know that discipline and correction is one of the ways that we are called to love for and care for each other, right? Part of the way that we love each other is by correcting one another and disciplining one another. Simply put, if we spare the rod of correction, um, Scripture tells us that we hate our children and we abandon them unlovingly to destruction. The same principle is also true towards one another, whether that's sideways peer-to-peer, whether that's up to someone who's an authority over us. One of the most loving things that you can do to care for your pastors is to discipline them well. But the question remains, what does that look like? Right? Um, Paul says, he puts it this way, basically says that we should not make a charge. So I'm going to say public charge. We should not make a public accusation against a pastor unless that um, accusation is founded by two or three reliable witnesses. So I want to put this back in the form of parent to child for a moment. If you have children or if you've worked with children at all, if you come to your child and you see that your child is doing what they ought not to be doing, and because you love them, you say, hey, Timmy, get your hand out of the cookie jar, and they get angry with you, right? What is their first thing that they oftentimes say? I hate you. You're so mean, right? Something along those lines. Um, and it's like, smack, shut, no. So one of the first responses from a child being disciplined and corrected is oftentimes to kind of lash back out at you. Um, now put this in peer-to-peer correction. You see your friend doing something they should not be doing. You go to them. You correct them. Sometimes their first response, you may have even been in their shoes, your first gut response is, who are you to talk to me that way? You can't judge me, right? Okay. So this is what makes confrontation so hard. I, I say all this because it's very, very important that if you're going to entertain any kind of accusation against a pastor or a peer, anyone for that matter, you need to, you need to do hard work of ensuring that the evidence is actually reliable and that the motivation behind that is not something ungodly and unhealthy. That's my point in all of that rant. You should not make a charge against an elder unless the evidence of two or three reliable witnesses substantiates it. Um, this is obviously something that's hard, I think, for us to accept in our culture today. Not that it was any different then in Timothy and Paul's day, but today we're in the age of social media. Um, we're in the age of news media. We're in the age where it is popular to publicly slander one another and one leader after the next especially and oftentimes with unfounded accusations. It takes hard work to slow down. takes hard work to actually examine the evidence as well as the credibility of that person who is submitting the evidence before making a ruling 
judgment on some accusations. So uh, caution is in order. Same is true when it comes to disciplining pastors, okay? Um, a pastor is first and foremost a broken sinner in need of Jesus. The problem oftentimes is that we elevate our pastors into a place of perfection that is very hurtful. Pastor is also a member of the flock who is in need of discipline and correction. It's not that because you become a pastor, somehow you no longer need discipline or correction because somehow you got it all together. Just that he is the most public face of a church family who all still need to be disciplined and corrected because that's discipleship. Discipline of any member whether it's a pastor or not, needs to be done with extreme care. Why? With extreme care. Not to discourage someone. I don't want to discourage children by being heavy-handed and overbearing. So there needs to be extreme care. It needs to be done with patient love and a heart that cares for the well-being of that person that's being corrected. Now, if you were to look to Matthew 18, if we had time, we would go there now. Matthew 18 is kind of the um, kind of the go-to, step-by-step process of practicing correction and discipline within a church family. It's a perfect outline for coming alongside anyone who is a member or pastor, period. Um, and it begins with one-on-one confrontation. And then it moves to two-on-one confrontation. Then it moves to the whole church-on-one confrontation when the one person being confronted and corrected refuses to listen. The heart behind that kind of uh, confrontation is not some sort of retribution. Just simply because I disagree with you on some secondary issue of preference or because I want to get back at you because you've hurt me. The purpose of discipline and correction is to lovingly correct someone and to turn their attention back to a bloody and resurrected Savior. That is the purpose. That is the desire. That is the motivation. So correction, discipline should be done slowly, carefully, to ensure that our motivation is in the right place and that we don't just give this all lip service. Now, as you look at verses 20 through 21 uh, of, our, of our text here, I think that you'll notice that Paul makes it clear that if a pastor refuses to listen, if a pastor persists in his sin, if he turns a deaf ear, if he gives you a stiff arm, if he gives you the proverbial middle finger, if that's what he does, um, the best way that you can actually love and care for your pastor, pastors at that point, is to rebuke them in the presence of all of the elders as well as all of the church families so that everyone, both member and elder pastor alike, would stand in fear of the consequences of sin. Um, you think about this when you go back to the context of your own family. You have multiple children in your family, and one of them gets out of line, and you need to correct them. No matter how hard you try to kind of pull them off and do some of that privately, the rest of the kids know. And Timmy's getting it. Right? We have any Timmy's here? Because I don't want you to think that I'm just picking on you. That's what I don't think we do. And so the rest of the kids are like, we better straighten up. Get your room clean. No, get it done. Let's go. I don't want mom to get our attention. Right? This is a good, healthy thing in a church family. It helps us to walk in a way that we honor Christ. And he draws our attention to that by saying, basically, that we 
we do this kind of church discipline with one another, and especially our pastors, we do that knowing that we are actually in the very presence of Christ who gave his life for us. We are in the presence of our Father who loves us. We are in the presence of the elect angels, the chosen angels who help us. And in doing this, we cannot play favorites. We can't be like, well, you know, I kind of like Joe. He always gets in our face. So, you know, kind of give him some, let him go. Not the other Joe, because the other Joe is really kind of nice and makes lots of jokes. But we don't want to play favorites with the other Joe as he comes in either, right? He's kind of kind and makes us feel good. I'm just building caricatures here, which probably aren't even true. I don't know what we would do with Chris as he's coming in. Probably just because he's tall and he's 50. I don't know. So we just... <laughs> He sells cars. There he sells cars. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. We don't want to play favorites, right? That's the thing. <laughs> we don't want to play favorites. <laughs> we don't want, to, uh, don't want to sweep things under the rug either. Don't want to just ignore things and give somebody a pass. Like, well, yeah, a rough day. Let's not do that. Let's not make excuses either. We need to carefully practice biblical correction with one another, including our pastors. Um, I will say this. There have been far too many churches with pastors paid millions of dollars, which makes me sick. Millions of dollars. Got private jets, got bodyguards, extravagant lifestyles, 10-stall garages, yachts. These are guys who are supposedly in the pastorate all across our TV screens oftentimes teaching things that ought not to be taught, doing things that ought not to be done, because their churches are too cowardly. Because they themselves are too cowardly and have not instituted a culture of healthy biblical discipline. These churches and these pastors, so-called, um, are way too enamored with fame and popularity too afraid to confront each other for fear of losing their power and fame and influence. I would say that these phony churches, their phony pastors, they will face judgment someday for not practicing biblical discipline with one another. Okay? And many of them right now plaster all across the news as I preach. One case in point, James McDonald. No problems naming him. After the things that I've looked into, I feel confident the man has disqualified himself completely. But here's the thing. Say all that and we resonate with it. You don't have to be a uh, wealthy church with a well-dressed famous pastor to be guilty of sweeping things under the rug. Okay? Poor, small, little churches struggling to stay alive just like ours. Um also can be guilty of this. We can be guilty of small little reins of gossip, small little reins of slander where no one has the courage to step up and say, hey, let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about our leaders that way. Let's not talk about our church family that way because we're cowardly. But we ought to be careful that that doesn't become us too. It happens here as well as anywhere else. And in the midst of that, you have pastors who isolate themselves away from true community where it's needed. Give themselves over to just busy work. 
administrative stuff. So I got my check mark, got done, take off. Let us all be warned as we look at this and corrected as needed. One of the best ways that you can care for your pastors is by disciplining them. Okay. Number three, as we move into the final portion of the text, number three, I care for your pastors by installing them well. Verses 23-25, Paul says this, says, do not be hasty in the laying on of the hands. I always like to say a word of fists. I hope you all understand the joke there. And if you need to discipline me later, you can. <laughs> Nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So uh, this passage, this portion of the text, Paul's basically explaining that the installation of pastors and the ongoing care of pastors uh, is, is important. And in churches, it is oftentimes overlooked to the detriment of the church family, to the detriment of those pastors, to the detriment of their families. All too often, I would say that the church slaps some of their best businessmen or most respected men into roles of eldership that they are neither called or qualified for. So the final instruction here is to simply install elders slowly and pay attention to their ongoing health. Um, we should not install pastors quickly or flippantly, for that matter, either. It's a very serious role. But we should take great care to install develop and install those pastors slowly and while doing so we should be examining every aspect of their lives carefully why because it's a public office and it's one of eternal value this is why the the process for becoming an elder or a pastor here at the well is so robust um there are some men who um probably may never jump into the process because of the beastiness of the process, and that's okay. There are other places who don't take it as seriously as we do, and I don't say that in a prideful or arrogant way. Um, they might place emphasis or seriousness on different aspects. might be a gracious way of saying it. Um, our process here is robust. We expect our elders, our pastors to be healthy in their spiritual lives. So we examine deeply. We expect our pastors uh, to be healthy in their relationships. So we examine that deeply. We expect our pastors to be healthy in their marriage and their family lives, and in their ministries, and in their theological understanding. These are all categories that we examine very closely. And the reason for that is not just simply to say, okay, you passed the test, you're super knowledgeable in all these areas, now you're in. It's not that. It's not, a, it's not a retributive type of you're out or you're in kind of process. Although there is the element that there needs to be a qualification for sure. <clears throat> the other, and I would say just as vitally important, is the continued ongoing care of an elder. So we do not just slap people into ministry and then use them for all their good. We want to take care of our elders. Part of the reason for our... Easty process. So our elders 
candidates, our, our pastoral candidates, submit themselves to extensive writing projects. It's about a third of what I wrote to be in the role that I'm in. Third. Um, so there's extensive writing projects. Um, there's face-to-face -face interviews over the course of uh, one to two years before they could be installed here. This is all done. Again, do the best that we can as broken hearts to uh, ensure that the men that we install as elders are actually qualified and called to become elders. I heard Bob Thune say the other day in a meeting that the reason that the process is so robust is that we have learned some things by watching and experiencing um, the things that have happened in the church as it pertains to elders. So we have tried to arrive at a place where we can say we are doing everything we possibly can do to look at one of the number one reasons churches fail, which is failed pastors. And we are trying to do everything we can do to say we have made a process that is as godly and as robust as we possibly can. I would never trust my home to the hands of a Navy SEAL who wasn't a real Navy SEAL. Nor would I train or, 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 or trust the bride of Christ um, to a man who has not passed a test equally as tough. So um, we take the installation and ongoing care process very seriously. So our guys submit themselves to some really difficult stuff, ensured to make sure that they are qualified and called. It's also done to provide the best ongoing care. Take a minute to think about that as we wrap this up, trying to get there. We want to provide the best ongoing care for our pastors and their families. Uh, we do not want to install elders without identifying some of their weaknesses and shortcomings first. That might sound weird, but I'll tell you this. I, I would be very slow to install any elder if he just looked all clean and pretty. If there were no there were no blind spots, if there were no areas that, of some concern. There should be an area of concern in each of us. Why? Because we are not perfect. And if any man walked into the room and wanted to try to come across that way and then was unwilling at the same time to receive help and ongoing care for that area of his life, I would not want to serve with him. Um, and I think that that's a protective thing for the body because what you wind up with with men like that is heavy-handed men who think that they are perfect and the sheep are not. So that ongoing care aspect of this, the assessment process, is designed to encourage someone in their gifts. Man, God has wired you so well. Your family is ready for this. Yet there is also these weaknesses that you have and these blind spots. I want to come alongside of you and watch your back and help you. Discipleship process. short, um, we want to be serious about what Paul says in kind of the last couple of verses here. Verses um, 24 through 25, right? E even 22. Um, we're not interested in taking part in the sins of our elders. In other words, we're not, we're not interested in turning a blind eye to something and just being like, oh, you know, yeah, Joe's got a tendency to overwork himself, but... Uh, Thankfully, he kind of overworks himself because people get cared for. We don't, we don't want to turn a blind eye to those things. We want to be able to say, Joe, you have an issue here. So when I went through the two different assessment processes to become an elder here at this church, that was one of the things that came up. I have a tendency to work in the red. I don't think there's many of you in this room that don't already know that, um, that haven't come to me often and said, slow down. 
take an extra day off this week. Knock it off. Because we know if I'm not healthy, if we're not healthy, then the image of God that we project to the world around us is not good, not healthy. That's just one of the key areas. Um, One of the other key areas, if you know me well, is an intense battle with worry, doubt, and fear. I feel like there's seasons of that where it kind of gets less, but then there's seasons of that where I am crippled almost by it. So those of you in this church who have challenged me and encouraged me in those seasons, you have disciplined me well. Um, But that's what that process is for, is to identify those things, to ensure that I don't wind up disqualifying myself from the race as an elder. We do not want to take part in the sins of our elders. We want to develop our elders, our pastoral team. Um, we, want to, we want to develop one that remains spiritually, emotionally, and physically pure, which, which includes paying attention to um, an elder candidate's spiritual, relational, physical, emotional, theological health, marital health. Paul draws our attention to that by instructing Timothy to not only drink water, uh, but also drink a little wine, which for some folks might have you a little bit afraid. Um, in that day, there was some medicinal value um, uh, for wine for Timothy's stomach. Furthermore, I'll take a brief couple of seconds. There was an issue in the Ephesian church, uh, which uh, the other Joe, old Joe, um, did a really good job of uh, pointing to when he preached 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Um, uh, basically, uh, in that sermon, uh, talking about how there were people in the church who were into asceticism. So they're into looks. Um, basically, and those leaders, Paul is saying, watch out for those guys. They're into doing things on the external for show, and uh, they're guys whose consciences were seared. They forbid marriage. They require abstinence from foods that God created to be received. Um, And so I think part of this is that Timothy might have been slipping into a, hey, I want to stay pure here as I'm confronting these guys, so I better not take any drink Because if I were to take a drink while confronting them for their asceticism, they might try to turn that back around and be like, oh, Timothy, you're drinking a little wine, so I'm just going to drink water. And Paul's saying, don't go there. Like, don't don't become guilty of giving to the same thing they're giving into. There's much better reasons, obviously much better reasons, to um, restrict yourself from drinking alcohol. That's not one of them. So what Paul is saying is, hey, water's good. Don't just drink that. Um, Also drink a little bit of uh, wine. Pay attention to your physical health would be another way that I would probably principalize the truth in that. So in the end, we pay uh, attention to the lives of our elders and our pastors because um, conspicuous sins, at the end of this passage, conspicuous sins, things that you see immediately, right? Um, or, Or conspicuous good work, those things... They tell the tale of, of, of those men's character. Um, and even the things that you cannot see right now will only stay hidden for a short period of time. So I think that if we examine elders well as they come in, um, we will be able to see, hopefully, by God's grace and his power. So in summary, what we want to do is install elders and pastors well by taking it slow, paying attention to their ongoing care. I'm at 43 minutes. I apologize. Um, I've got about... I've got about probably five minutes left, okay? So you can hang in there with me. I think this last part I think is important enough not just to scratch um, based on the heavy content.
pray that the Lord would confirm that with you. Um, summary, quickly, summary and some application is what I want to do. Believe that the Lord would have us care for our pastors well by honoring them, disciplining them, and installing them carefully or well, right? That's been kind of where we've been uh, this morning. And the, and the only real way that I know how to bring this message to a close um, is to probably do make some personal comments on my experience here as a pastor uh, over the last um, seven years. My prayer then is that the Lord would encourage all of us and challenge us at the same time. So number one, um, on honoring our pastors, just a quick personal word there. Uh, you might remember as we talked about it, honoring our pastors begins and ends with financial support and relational respect. Remember? So I've labored here for about seven years. Most of those years alone worked hard to seek out, to invite in, to recruit, to train, to install other elders and pastors to carry that load of shepherding. And we're in that season where we're close. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll let everybody know now. Um, this will come up again here in a minute. Um, Joe and Eileen Nelson will be going through uh, an elder assessment interview on June 12th. So our external advisory board guys will come in and um, we'll do an assessment interview and hopefully that will produce a, uh, an ongoing care plan um, and a way of installing uh, Joe as the second elder here. Um, so we're close. Um, now I, I've done this for seven years, to be honest, because um, if I'm not honest, I'm lying. So I've done this work um, for the last seven years for compensation that has been typically below the poverty line. Um, I don't say that to shame or guilt you or any of you. Um, I say that to let you know that Christy and I made that choice knowingly. We calculated the cost. Um, we knew that we would be making below the poverty line for a long time in our effort to plant a church. You don't start a church in your living room with four other people and, and get paid a decent wage to begin unless you're a massively good fundraiser. And the problem with that is, is the more time I spend fundraising, the less time I get to spend evangelizing and pastoring. So it's a real tension to say no to somebody who needs a phone call because I need to go raise funds from a church in Kansas. So that's been the tension for seven years. We've made that sacrifice simply because we want to see a church planted that reaches the lost and makes disciples here in Hastings. Now, I didn't take a compensation increase for the first five to six years, but two years ago... Um, a handful of our leaders kind of saw what was happening, and then those guys and ladies came and challenged me, challenged our church family to begin a retirement fund for us, and that was um, good. That was a blessing. And then this year, back in January, more of our leaders came and just kind of courageously helped increase my salary and housing allowance so that we could then make ends meet. Now, I say all of that to say that's been um, the process. Um, in my understanding and all of our understanding, um, and you can ask, Joe is our treasurer, and Chris kind of functionally serves as our vice president of the organization. Um, but uh, in, in my understanding, that's still compensation of where I'm at is still um, below the bottom end of the range. So if there's a range for my job, it is X amount of dollars to X amount of dollars, and somebody with certain experience should be below the bottom and the high end. My understanding is I'm still right here. Closer to the bottom end. In fact, it might be right there, and that way you guys know. I don't say that again to shame or any of those things. I, I feel extremely blessed. We, we make ends meet pretty well. Um, now, as far as the relational respect aspect, I'm trying for five minutes, guys. As far as the relational respect aspect, I have typically felt pretty respected, okay? 
and by you guys relationally, uh, especially during Pastor Appreciation Month. There was one year there, I remember, a long time ago that was kind of tough, but you guys have done really well. I'm thankful for you guys uh, during those months, the gifts that you give us, the way that you show your kindness towards us, and even in between, um, outside of the, that month of Pastor Appreciation. Some of you will pass along a card or a small financial gift or some other blessing towards us, and those, those are just, those are huge, so I'm thankful. I just want to encourage you guys in the way that you do that. Um, uh, typically, I, I do not feel disrespected relationally. There is one way that I do feel disrespected relationally that I think is important for me to draw attention to, and it's usually when someone refu refuses to listen to my direction. So when you come and you sit down across the desk from me and you say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, I'm thinking about doing that, my first question is, is okay, are you telling me that because you're trying to make an announcement, this is what you're going to do? Or are you coming to me because you actually want some help with this? Otherwise, it's like, why are you here? Because part of my job description is not to be behind a desk to hear your announcement of what you're going to do with your life. Does that make sense? Like that's, that's, we have friends for that. You don't need a pastor for that. Um, so if you're sitting across the desk and you're, you're like, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, Z, then the reason you're there is to get my counsel. And when I give you counsel and you refuse to listen to it, you go out the next day, you do exactly the opposite of what you came in to ask for. That is, that's, that's hard. And so that goes back to the drinking a gallon of rejection. You just put yourself in my shoes for a minute and have five or ten appointments in a day. And then the next day, find out that those five or ten appointments went and did exactly what you told them not to do. Like, why am I doing my job, right? So, um, so that's probably the only area that I could pick on us for um, that I would say we could keep an eye on. Otherwise, thankful for you guys. Um, I'm going to move on. There's more there that I wrote. You can go read the notes online. Um, point number two, point number three, quickly, discipline our pastors. A few weeks ago, uh, during a sermon, I made a very heavy comment uh, that we, uh, I sensed that we were taking our privileges to worship um, that morning uh, uh, for granted, that we were approaching God with a flippant attitude. After that sermon, good brother of mine here in the church family came to me, and I think he just practiced, practiced good biblical discipline. He asked me, like, are you okay? Did you have a tough morning? Um, something happened this week that bothered you, that motivated you to say what you said? I'm really grateful for that guy um, having the courage to come to me. Um, that courage that he exhibited uh, provided me then the opportunity to first and foremost self-reflect. Um, it also prompted me to make a few phone calls to other leaders in our church family and say, hey, and um, this is kind of how that comment struck me and, and I'm wondering how, how it struck you and I want, wanted to make sure this was timely, it was accurate and what I found out that was, was that, that I definitely had a long week so that word was definitely for me um, but it also confirmed that it was also for others, that I wasn't the only one in the room who felt disconnected and felt like the atmosphere was a flippant atmosphere and that we were taking our worship of the Lord for granted and had that gentleman never come to me and somebody said, um, discipleship would not have happened, and it began with me. Um, and so I am thankful for that. Please, ask the Lord for courage <coughs> to not sit around and do that in a gossipy, slanderous way, but to do that in a face-to-face -face way. Come to me. If you have questions, if you have concerns, come to our elders, our pastors, as they begin to be installed. And then lastly, on the installation process, I already mentioned that Joe and Eileen will be heading into that process. You know that... Chris is working his way through it as well. Um, please encourage them. Please get with them. 
Don't just stand back and go, well, that's Joe's job to install those guys. Get to know them. Take them out to lunch. Get together with them. Text them. Call them. Find out what they need uh, prayer-wise. Find out ways that you can bless them uh, practically. These men and, and their wives and their families, I believe, are huge gifts to us. And our job is to watch each other's backs as we move forward. It's a responsibility. It's a privilege. Amen? In conclusion, and I'm done. We never need to forget that Jesus is the chief shepherd, right? Okay? Christ is the chief shepherd. And he shepherds us well. He knows us well. He leads us well. He feeds us well. And he protects us well. He knows our every thought and our every desire. He leads us into green pastures. He feeds us his word by the power of his spirit who preaches truth to us. And he protects us from the attacks of Satan, sin, and the world. He literally gave his life sacrificially on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be free from our sin. Ultimately, a church that honors and disciplines and installs pastors and elders well actually proves that they love Jesus well. So, think about that. And as we close, I'm just hoping that you would give thanks to the Lord for the chief shepherd, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for us and continues to shepherd us through the presence of his very own spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, and we ask that you would be powerfully present among us, continue to be so as we close. We trust you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.